Welcome back to the Canadian Baseball Network podcast. And we were talking some Blue Jays today as we head into spring training. We have Mitch Bannon and Ethan Diamandis, uh, both freelance Blue Jays reporters, have been around the team quite extensively over the last couple of years. So we're going to get their insight on you know the offseason so far, what it looks like currently, and what they think might happen going into 2024, Jackson. Yeah, really excited to hear from Mitch and Ethan uh, coming on our show. Uh, guys who've been on the you know, the Jays beat last few seasons and, and getting to hear what they think from their perspective about how it's been a, uh, let's call it an uneventful off season, not just for the Jays, but across baseball, how they've thought about that and uh, where they think this team is headed. There's a lot of interesting storylines. So uh, yeah, let's get right into it here. We are thrilled to be joined here on the Canadian Baseball Network podcast by freelance Blue Jays reporters, Mitch Bannon and Ethan Diamandis. Guys, how's it going? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Not too bad, Matt. Thanks for having us. Perfect. So the the kind of the basis of this conversation today, with it being the beginning of February, spring training right around the corner, will be the Blue Jays offseason, heading into spring training, our thoughts, we'll discuss a few different things. Uh, but first, let's just start with overall impressions of the offseason thus far. It's been an interesting one. If you ask some Jays fans, they might think the Rogers Center is burning down. Uh, but kind of get you guys' take on this. Mitch, maybe we'll start with you. Sure, yeah. I think it's been a lot of the same for the Blue Jays as the rest of baseball just like a kind of predictable predictably underwhelming offseason like I, I think a lot of the talk coming into the winter was how bad the free agent class was and so then I'm a little surprised at how underwhelmed everyone has been by the free agent signings across the league like it's kind of a, a one plus one equals two but I would say predict predictably underwhelmed yeah, Ethan, what do you think so far about uh, what's kind of gone? I know there's still a few weeks left till spring training, and there's still some time left in the offseason until opening day. But Yeah, the monotony has been expected, right? But I think it's been worse for Blue Jays fans because of these little spikes of adrenaline, right, with the, the Otani thing. And then finally, you know, just, you know, status quo, everyone's coasting. And then, like, oh, my goodness, like, the ship is rocking, and the Jays have a chance, right, to get Shohei Otani and – Fans are chasing planes and, and showing up to the airport and, and tracking videos. And then that's all for nothing. And then it's back into the abyss of nothingness. And then, okay, maybe Cody Bellinger's in Toronto, right? And then, you know, it's waiting, it's waiting, and it's Isaiah kind of for Leffa, and it's Justin Turner instead of these big names. So for Blue Jays fans, it's not exactly the offseason, you know, they're probably expecting after a pretty rough end to the 2023 season. How, how closely were you guys following that flight? I mean... I know I was. I'm not going to lie here. I, I, you're objective as much as you want to be, but that that was a pretty interesting day. Yeah, I, I was glued to my computer that entire day. Like I had plans, I think, to go out for drinks with friends that evening, and I'm like, guys, I got to see how this goes. Like I, I can't do like missing that. <laughs> I think I ended up rolling up later when like the the counter reports started coming in around six o'clock. I'm like, okay, plans are back on. I'm believing the counter reports, but yeah, I, I was definitely plugged into that day. It was pretty crazy. What? Was that followed by a heavy night of drinking after the reports were debunked? Ye- yes. <laughs> I don't know if I should be. I think it was a Friday. Okay. It was a Friday. Wrong. Yeah. Ethan, what about you? What were you thinking that through that whole kind of scenario? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe uh, greedily, I was thinking about all the content that would come from <laughs> Otani coming in Toronto, but it was just the fanfare was crazy. Like, I'm getting, you know, texts from like, you know, everyone was getting, I think like people in the industry were getting texts from, fans or friends who aren't baseball people they're like who is Shohei Otani and what is going on like I think that like you know my uncle and, and my aunt texted me like what's going on is, is he coming like so it was it was crazy that it permeated like 
just the national newscape and it got everybody super excited all really from a couple errant tweets and you know some misinformation on twitter and a sushi restaurant that still remains a a mystery uh to to this day so yeah i was i was in it um but i i, I tried to stay neutral and not get any expectations and then you know it's easier than when your dreams are uh crushed at the end of it <laughs> yeah yeah, you can sleep better at night when you stay uh, stay neutral on it. So I want to jump a little bit ahead of to what the Jays did do eventually. But but before I do that, I'll, I'll kind of jump ahead of that. Next couple of weeks, there's still some big names on the market. Um, you know, Cody Bellinger, Jorge Soler. Um, what, where do you think this team stands having covered them? Um, what potential moves could you realistically see them making going forward to, to bolster the current roster? Oh, I guess I'll hop in first here. I kind of get the sense they're done and it's less of like a personal sense and more that the people who i know know stuff are putting out that they're like largely done at least the heavy lifting i think there is a a slim 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 chance that this is team messaging in a negotiation tactic against a matt chapman against a cody bellinger but i tend to believe what comes out of this organization like as much as people think they business speak the reports except for that day on otani are usually pretty accurate coming out of this team and so I still think they could use a Matt Chapman, a Cody Bellinger, even a guy like an Adam Duvall, I think, has a place on this roster just to give them one more bat, a right-handed bat. But I kind of get the sense that they're done signing guys for more than $10 million, which I think is rightfully pretty disappointing. Yeah. What do you think, Ethan? Yeah, I, I think it just it doesn't make sense that this Chapman news would go without a whimper. Like, I do think the Blue Jays are still interested in Matt Chapman and I do think the doors open even after you know ju like Justin Turner's probably more of a replacement to Brandon Belt than he is right to Matt Chapman like he I, I'm not super confident about him playing third base defensively and I think the way the roster's cooked up right now I mean Isaiah Kiner-Falefa is probably your opening day third baseman so I don't think any Blue Jays fans really want that and I think Kiner-Falefa would obviously be better suited in a bench role so Maybe there's a way to to sign an infielder like Chapman or, to Mitch's point, add kind of a power thumper, a uh, guy who can play 100 games, you know, um, or 90 games, gets injured, whatever. Just a guy that can come in and hit somebody like Adam Duvall. So one more signing, maybe, but I I would really, I I wouldn't I wouldn't think Cody Bellinger is is really a, a reality right now anymore. Yeah, so, you know, Mitch, you kind of mentioned that you tend to believe from covering the team what comes out of the organization. It, over your years covering the team, have you found that to be generally true uh, among, you know, information coming from Ross Atkins and, and the organization? Or are there instances where, that have happened that have been, you know, they say one thing and do the other? That's a good question. I, I think in terms of, like, actual transactions and, like, this is what we're going to do in the offseason, this is our offseason plan, I think they have been very truthful. I think they add a lot of like flowery language to the messaging. They talk about low floors and high ceilings, but or I think ceilings and not floors probably more likely. But I do think when they say, "Hey, we're trying to add a, like a, an outfielder, add a third baseman, replace X, Y, Z," they do it. I think where the front office has been more misleading is in like kind of the other stuff, the the handling of the crises, the like the in season stuff about injuries, like. I think a lot of organizations are less truthful about injuries for sure, but I think it's more like the day-to-day -day monotony stuff that they've been a little more misleading on. When they say they're going to try to do stuff in the offseason, I do think they've generally been pretty truthful about it. 
Yeah, Ethan, what about you? Your kind of experience around the team, how's that been as far yeah. as, you know, transparency transparency goes? Yeah, I would uh, I would echo Mitch's sentiment in that, like, it is sometimes like pulling teeth to get, like, the little answer you need about a specific target. So, like, hey, it's the trade deadline. You know, what are we, what are you guys looking for? Oh, you know, we're open for everything. Ask a few more questions. Uh, you know, re the relief market's really interesting. Okay, well, put that in your head. Okay, you know, maybe the Blue Jays are pushing for relievers you know, they go in the, and they trade for Jordan Hicks, right? So I, I think it's not always a straightforward path, but once you get to the core of the messaging that they're putting out, yeah, it's truthful. And you can say what you want to say about the mop-up and the uh, crises management, as Mitch put it. Uh, but for the most part, I, I think this organization uh, puts messages out in good faith. Yeah, and I think some teams obviously do it better than others. Um, but uh, you did mention the injury situation i think i know who you're hinting at in that and we will get to that in a minute uh but let's jump at let's look at some of the guys that they have signed you know justin turner obviously recently ariel rodriguez what are your thoughts on what they have done as opposed to what they haven't done ethan maybe we'll start with you yeah i mean they needed offense right i mean i, I the ariel rodriguez thing was interesting uh given that you know that their rotation is pretty set they could i guess they could have used a fifth guy and it'd be interesting to see how they use him whether it's in a relief role or they try to stretch him out to the starter uh position i mean the way his contract is set up i think it would make more sense for him to to serve as a starting pitcher but in terms of offense i mean the blue jays needed a toolsy player i guess isaiah connor falefa was the guy i mean but could you think this is this was what first came to mind when they signed him was think about how the blue jays how their season ended last year, right? It was, you know, slow scoring games. There were very little clutch hits. You know, it was dull, 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 maybe a hit here thrown out at the plate. I was like, if there was like a name to put to that style of baseball, it's Isaiah kiner Falefa. Like I just, he's a low power, you know, not a successful hitter career. You know, his, he's like an 80 OPS plus guy every single season. I'm like, this is exactly what fans did not want. They didn't want any more of this. So I don't really see, you know, the trees with the with the kind of Falefa signing. We'll see. I mean, I'm sure he's useful. I don't think fans could have great expectations. So, you know, that's on the other hand, you counter with Justin Turner, who's, you know, a proven offensive player, a proven postseason performer as well. Um, and then, you know, you you compromise on the defense. So at the end of the day, I think Blue Jays fans had big expectations and you're getting kind of yin and yang. You're getting, you know, high defense, low offense, and then high offense, low defense and, and canceling out a little bit. I, I don't know if it was just me, but that kind of Falefa signing, I, I just saw it as like a worse Whit Merrifield. Kind of a guy that can play a few different places, doesn't hit quite as well, um, can play defense. But I don't know. Do you guys kind of agree with that or do you see it a little bit differently, Mitch? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think he can play more positions, and namely he can play third base. So I think he's maybe a more useful with Merrifield, but you're also paying him $15 million over the next two years, so he, he better be a useful player. But yeah, I kind of agree. Just in the offseason in general, I think it's been an offseason of kind of patching in the holes that happened to free agency, like the IKF replaces Merrifield, Kevin Kiermaier replaces Kevin Kiermaier, mm -hmm. uh, Turner replaces Brandon Belt, and then like I think Yariel Rodriguez kind of replaces half of Jordan Hicks and half of Hunjin Ryu in one player, which I think makes it a particularly interesting signing. And I do like that signing in a vacuum. But then you got one other guy who's left in this matchup. And that's like arguably the most impact, impactful player of all of the guys who have left. So 
it's kind of been a patchwork replacement job. Spring is on the horizon, which means so is March break. So why not swing into spring with the Baseball Zone's 21st annual March Break Baseball Camp? And it takes place from March 11th to 15th, and anyone aged 5 to 13 years old can sign up. What better way for your child to spend March break than staying active and honing their baseball skills at the Baseball Zone's top class facilities? For more info and to register, head to thebaseballzone.ca. Let's talk about Justin Turner for a little bit, because I think heading into his age 39 season, is, do you think there will be, how much pressure do you think will be on Justin Turner to be a run producer in the middle of this lineup? Because that was something that really lacked last year. Obviously, they need Vladdy to step back up. They need Bow to be Bow. But is there maybe a little bit of an unrealistic expectation that could be placed on Justin Turner heading into the season? I don't know if it's unrealistic just because he's he's done it. Like, yeah, he's he's old, but he's also been old for the last like five years and continues to hit. So I don't know if the expectations are particularly unrealistic. Uh, I don't want to fact check myself here, but I believe he would have led the Blue Jays in RBI last year. Like, I know that's a flawed stat. I know he wasn't on the Blue Jays, so it didn't really help last year, but he would have led the team in RBIs last year. So if you put him in the four or five of this team, I think he can give you a good run producer. It's just... Other guys have to hit after him and also have to produce runs too. Yeah, Ethan, what do you think about what's your overall impression of Justin Turner? Because I, I like the signing. I think uh, it definitely wasn't as flashy as what some fans might want, but I definitely think it's a, a useful bat in the middle of the lineup. For sure. He's definitely a, a useful bat, 100%. It seems like he's been 35 years old for the last 10 years, right? It's like the, the Brandon Belt syndrome as well, right? This guy's only 35 or whatever. Well, Turner is. 39 uh but he's still sticking it like you know he's still 800 ops um you gotta wonder though like with maybe george springer like when the wall comes it comes strong and it hits hard uh and in that case you know the blue jays are going to be in trouble but you know if i'm a blue jays fan i'm pretty confident in this signing i think turner again you can talk about the intangibles of leadership and mentorship and you know as bo bichette pointed out in his you know, little media appearance recently, you know, this isn't a young team anymore. So maybe there's a little bit less value on that. But I do think Turner is, you know, of exceptional character, it seems like he understands what it takes to win how to bring a clubhouse together. And I'm sure his own role in that is not lost on him either. So I, I think he'll take things very seriously. And if he stays healthy, and you know, he just repeats the same stuff he's done, you know, in, in Boston and a little bit in New York and uh, with the Dodgers, like I think, I think Toronto will be very satisfied with that signing. Well, I think you just raised an interesting point. I think for the most part, obviously the signing is for his production, but you mentioned his role in the clubhouse. You guys have been in the clubhouse, and I know sometimes players can put on a face when the media is around, but how big of an impact do you think Justin Turner can realistically have um, in the atmosphere, the chemistry of this team? I haven't been playing in a major league clubhouse, but I do think it matters more than any other sport. Like the season is so freaking long and like, you need to not be bored. You need to not hate the guys you're going to work with every single day because you're going to do it 180 times. Like, that's a full job. That's the same as you and me going to our jobs and having to not hate the people that we work with. It's very similar. And also then you're trying to win a World Series together. And I think Brandon Belt was a big part of the Blue Jays clubhouse mix last year. And so you, you lose that. Presumably he's not coming back now. And so I think he kind of plugs into that role, maybe a bit of a lighter presence. Kevin Kiermeyer was pretty vital to keeping the the uh, vibes up in the Blue Jays clubhouse last year. So it's good that they brought him back. But I do think the Blue Jays clubhouse, at least in my perception, seems like a pretty good vibe. So I don't know if they necessarily needed a Justin Turner. 
but he is maybe replacing what we lose in Brandon Belt. Yeah, I think Ken Rosenthal made the comment about an adult walking into the room the other day, and I thought, you know, there's some already some adults in that room, but I guess another one doesn't hurt. Ethan, in your perspective, in your experience, kind of as far as you know, clubhouse chemistry, atmosphere, what's kind of how, how what's kind of your take on that? Yeah, the Blue Jays clubhouse clubhouse definitely has fun, and they had a pretty silly mix of guys in there, like between Brandon Belt, who you know might seem kind of rough on the outside, but he is really quite a comedian. Like he was almost purely comic relief from what we saw. Um, and Kevin Kiermeyer's, you know, he's, you know, Captain America basically. Right. And he'll put on a face and he'll, he'll cheer and go rah, rah. Maybe this is my perception. And like you said, maybe they're different when the media is around, but what I think this club could use is a bit of constructive leadership, like someone like Matt Chapman, who, you know, would joke around and definitely would, you know, uh, you know, have his moments be a goofball and stuff, but uh, you know, someone who can be serious when, when it calls for it, like, and kind of not, not to add any fear to the clubhouse or anything like that, but I think you need somebody like an adult in the room. I don't know. I know a lot of Toronto's leaders are very lighthearted and easygoing and Vladdy, you know, super easygoing. Bo is quite serious, but obviously he's young and he's grown up in this organization for a long time. But if Turner can, you know, bestow this sort of postseason mentality uh, on a regular basis and when the moments are tough I think that's when the Blue Jays withered a little bit when they're facing adversity in the playoffs when they're banged up you know when they're on a losing streak in the dog days like I think that's where the Justin Turners their intangibles you know play bigger than than anybody else so I, I will see when those moments come um, but you know if I'm a Blue Jays player and Justin Turner's walking into the clubhouse and I need guidance or mentorship i'm hoping that you know he can provide that you guys both covered the team in 2022 correct as well yep so there's obviously a big kind of a roster overhaul and an atmosphere overhaul coming to last season was that something that was really noticeable um and from 2022 to 2023 when they kind of got more serious so to speak i thought it was going to be more noticeable than it, than it was i think ethan kind of alluded to that there's still like this is still a lighthearted clubhouse and like full of jokes. Sure, you trade guys like Lourdes and Kay Oscar, but it's not like Kevin Kiermaier and Brandon Belt were like pissing vinegar. Like you have to like work all day, every day, like hit the gym a million times. Like, yeah, they still all work hard, but I still think it was a pretty lighthearted clubhouse. And so I think it was maybe more of just a, a changing of player style. And obviously the team wanted to get more defensive. And so I think like a lot of people put, thought a lot about, oh, this is like a clubhouse overhaul. When I think realistically, it was more about you want to catch the ball in the outfield. Were you guys surprised that there was no real front office overhaul, coaching overhaul, uh, based on the way the season ended? Or was that kind of blown out of proportion, you think, by fans? Yeah, I, I never got the sense that John Schneider should have been in any trouble. Um, and, you know... Still sort of a mystery where the decision to pull Brios came from. You know, it it came from Schneider, you know, according to the organization and and his, you know, pregame preparation. And I, I don't, I'm not a believer in that uh, anyone should be fired on based on a decision like that anyways. Um, you know, I, I think people <clears throat> with Ross Atkins have kind of been like, you know, he's one more, you know, playoff, you know, thud away from, from getting canned or, you know, like it's, it could be next season or, you know, the window shrinking or this and this and this, and it kind of just keeps dragging out. And I think like, I do think Mark Shapiro really believes in 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 the vision and in Ross as his guy. And it's not like Ross Atkins hasn't 
done all the right things, put the right team on the field. I, I think it's a matter of, uh, you know, the Blue Jays midseason changes. Maybe they need to gun a little harder at the trade deadline. Maybe they need to change the way, you know, players are taking their reps during the season. But I got to say, like, he seems to have a vision and stick to it in the offseason for the most part. And, um, you know, I think it's hard to imagine how things would change without Ross Atkins. But now, maybe now we're ready to finally declare that this is the uh, the last straw. But uh, again, it's totally dependent on if they make the playoffs, if they don't make the playoffs. I mean, I'll throw it, Let me throw to Mitch here on this one. Do you think it's as simple as, you know, if the Blue Jays don't win a playoff game, that's it for the uh, the Ross Atkins story? Yeah, unless they like won the division and they get swept in the DS, like win 105 games to get swept in the DS, then like maybe it's a little different. But yeah, I, I think it is probably that simple, especially because Ross has pretty clearly staked his reputation or his his job on the the coaching staff that is in charge of the Blue Jays right now. Like very little change. Matt Hag is up as a new kind of assistant hitting coach, but really it's the same coaching staff aside from that. I think Marlo Hale is in as well. And he said a lot about, okay, we have had to change our processes and we don't know what that means. We're like, maybe never going to really know what that means because it wouldn't make sense for the team to tell us how they prepare for hitting meetings. It would just be giving away a huge competitive advantage, but he has staked his job on this coaching staff and this team being able to get it done. I'm sure he knows that. I'm sure his hair is getting thinner every day because of it, but I think this team is going to, this year's team is really going to dictate whether or not Ross Atkins gets a chance to resign Bo and Vlad and see this kind of core through. And I think he's had two managers, right? He's brought in two managers, Montoyo and now Schneider. He, he inherited Gibbons, but that's three managers in his tenure. You don't see a lot of general managers without having success go through that. So uh, I kind of agree that this kind of might be the year that if, if it's not a success in the sense of winning some playoff games or again, winning 105 games, you can't really argue with that, but um, yeah, that's interesting. But I want to talk a little bit about a couple guys that really need that bounce back years, I think, if the Blue Jays want to be successful. Uh, we'll start with Dalton Varsho. Uh, obviously, that was a big deal last year. Everybody watched Moreno in the playoffs and Gurriel in the playoffs. And Gurriel ends up re-signing, which probably run, rubbed a little bit more salt in the wound for Blue Jays fans. But uh, what do you think of Dalton Varsho? What did you think of his season last year? And what do you think he's capable of heading into 2024? Everyone told us when Varsho signed that he was dynamite basically, right? He was, you know, a fire hydrant of, you know, effort and hustle and power and defense. And like he was in spurts, but he, there were just stretches where he was just almost unusable. Like he either it was, you know, I, I think it gets exaggerated how often he missed the high fastball, but like he missed the high fastball a lot and, you know, he would chase and he was an automatic out at some points. And that's, crazy to think because he's so skilled I think with his as a you know defense we'll, we'll lay that aside for a minute but like I, I do think his offensive profile is really dangerous like even if it's high whiff you know and he has you know holes in the zone like his power is incredible like he can really for a guy who is probably not any taller than 5'8 he can really turn on a ball and, and make a difference and then use that speed to his advantage so um, I'm I'm quite hopeful I mean, he's only 27 years old, 26, 27. So I, I think he's actually a better defender than Kevin Kiermaier. I'm I'm happy to put that opinion out there. Uh, so I'm I'm quite hopeful. He really, he really just struggled. And whether, you know, Mitch and I were actually there in spring training and we saw him get into a really bad habit of just like popping everything up right to the catcher. Like it would just, it was strange. It happened a lot in spring training. And I think like 
there were there were either hitches or there were some mechanical flaw in his swing that he never really you know found his confidence i think with a new team and he was you know instantly hitting in the middle of the order uh to start the year and i i really think he was probably drowning all season trying to you know get that average back to 220 or or, or you know feel like he wasn't you know swinging at air at the plate so i you know it does it does it's a tough look with uh with Lourdes Guriel and Gabby Moreno having so much success in Arizona but um I'm color me a Dalton Varsho believer I don't know if Mitch is as optimistic I don't know if I'm like quite as optimistic but I it would be hard for him to not have a bounce back of some kind. like he didn't luck into 27 homers in a very good offensive season here for Arizona like that doesn't just happen by accident there was clearly something that was going right then that didn't go right last year you mentioned the high fastball. It seems like teams definitely started feeding that more to him. But he's a small enough guy that he should be able to adjust to that and should be able to hit that. Like, I think he has, like, a nice uppercut power swing. A lot of, like, modern baseball players like that kind of swing. It's to 30 home runs. And so I don't know if we're going to get the swing back all the way to 2022 for him. But I think if he can be a 25 homer guy, hit 230, do those bunts against lefties all the time, play the great defense – He's a three and a half win player. You're definitely that. Well, I think that's kind of the point that I wanted to get to is obviously Vladdy needs to perform a little bit better. They need Bo. They they Justin Turner now. How important is a guy like Dalton Varsho? It's kind of it, it kind of seems like he's kind of flown under the radar even this offseason, even after having a tough year. How important is he to this lineup, Ethan? Yeah, well, I think he just stretches everything out, right? Like he's almost a forgotten guy now. Like I think when the Jays traded for him, you know, they thought, okay, we're losing Lourdes, we're losing Gabby. You know, this guy's got some offensive potential. Let's kind of in our little hypothetical lineup, let's put him, you know, cleanup. And that's where he was hitting at the start. He was hitting cleanup. And now it's just like, oh, uh, you know, he's gonna hit, you know, seven, eight, nine, whatever, you know, Turner's the cleanup hitter now. Like I think there's a very real possibility that Varsho, you know, has a strong April, let's say, and he's got an eight hundred OPS and like bang, he's the three, four hitter. He's the five hitter. Like I think um a hot start will be really, really important and it'll just lengthen out this offense, right? Like I think the 2022 offense was so uh, strong, or well, 2021 more so, but they had Marcus Simeon and they had a little bit more zing in that lineup. But 2022, even with just like Alejandro Kirk having success, like he's another guy that like, it stretches out the lineup so much and you're not relying in the playoffs, for example, on, you know, Kevin Kiermeyer to deliver that like two out ribby or Kevin Biggio in with runners in scoring position. Like that's just like, it's really hard to succeed that way, truthfully. Like if those are your crunch time guys. So a hot Dalton Varsho, a hot Alejandro Kirk could really take the burden off the other guys uh, and give you know Toronto way more opportunities to score. So I want to talk about the other guy that I think really needs to have a bounce back. I don't think it's any surprise, Alec Manoa. But before I do that, I want to jump back to last year. What the hell was the end of the season about? with the IL stand, like what was going on there? They, as cover, as you guys covering the team, what were you guys being told as far as what that whole situation entailed? Okay. I have a bad memory. I'm going to put it out there. So I don't want to get anything wrong, but from what I recall, and please jump in if I get stuff wrong here, Ethan, like we weren't really getting told much in the last six weeks of the season publicly. Like we were told he was down in Dunedin. We were told he was then shut down. And then like, it was kind of zero dark 30 from the organization. After the season, we found out that he got, which had kind of been reported in the last few weeks of the season, he got the shots in his arm. He had decided he wanted those. The team 
consented to him getting those. I don't know if they necessarily supported him getting those or definitely didn't decide for him to get those. And then there was a back and forth about whether or not he'd be shut down and ultimately decided to end his season. I don't know if I'm missing anything, Ethan. Feel free to fill in the gaps. No, that sounds about right. I think the mystery was like, it was a not to the Shohei Otani level, like where is Shohei Otani, but there was a where is Alec Manoa. I mean, it was he was originally, you know, it, it sent to Buffalo, but then, you know, he was there were talks about him maybe pitching in AAA, and then he never ended up going there, or he never ended up pitching for Buffalo, and it wasn't immediately clear if he ever even was with the team. And and that's when, at the end of the season, as Mitch pointed out, that we learned that there was a bit of a dispute over this. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if it was a cortisone injection to his shoulder, but again, yeah, the team maybe felt that he didn't need it. He said, I'm injured. This is what I'm going to do. The team consented and supervised the the procedure and stuff. So yeah, I don't, <clears throat> I don't know if there's much more to that. Uh, not that I can remember off the top of my head, but it's going to, he's, he's, you know, all eyes on Alec Manoa in spring training this year, especially with now with the, um, the off season sort of trade speculation and, now, you know, the latest report is that, you know, the Blue Jays aren't going to trade him. Um, but, you know, reading between the lines, I think it's pretty clear that there is a rift between player and organization. Like, I I don't think I'm, you know, shattering any anybody's mind by saying that, you know, I don't think Manoa's happy right now. But that's not to say that he's, you know, not ready to go out there and, and put in the work that we know he's capable of. I mean... He had a tough year. He, you know, showed up with some, you know, mechanical issues and they didn't really get fixed. And he was trying to repair his delivery at the same time as he was managing, you know, opening, being the opening day starter and, you know, facing each new team, each series. So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see what he's going to bring. I'm really excited for, you know, his first opportunity to talk to the media to get a just kind of a whiff of his attitude and 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 how he's thinking because the the pitching staff was fine without him last year but i mean he takes the blue jays to another level if, if he's at his best and i think there's definitely some depth concerns even with yario rodriguez will help that but there's still some depth concerns bowden francis really stepped up last year i'm gonna throw a couple comparisons out at you for manoa and i don't mean this as far as the type of pitcher he is but is the Manoa situation more of an Aaron Sanchez situation or more of a Jose Barrio situation? Is it going to be a bounce back or could you see him falling off the map? I'll put you on the spot. I don't mind. Mitch, yeah, go ahead. Hard one. Um, man, I honestly don't know. Like if I, that's kind of the million dollar question, isn't it? Like if I were to bet what way he would go, like is if I were to bet if Alec Manoa is closer to his 2023 ERA or 2022 ERA, I will take 2023 mark that's not saying i think he's gonna have a six era again i just think there were already babbit warning signs like left on base warning signs like hit like raw number stuff that you would have expected regression and then he had the delivery issues the injury issues the mental issues he dealt with last year with the walks and stuff like that that i think he will be closer to 2023 alec manoa than 2022 I completely dodged your question by that, but <laughs> it's kind of an like you said, it's the million dollar question. I actually thought you were going to say close to the twenty twenty two. I don't know what I, I don't know where I stand on that though, Ethan. What do you think, twenty twenty three or twenty twenty two? I'm feeling positive, right? I, I've I've been the uh, and for the sake of the show, judge. just take the twenty twenty two, and we'll go from there. No, with me, I mean Manoa had the yips. Like, there's no other way to deny it. He came into spring training. 
you know, probably overweight. We never really actually confirmed like what his physical stature was or what he was dealing with. And so he probably was lacking confidence. And there is little doubt that he somewhere along the lines, you know, he he said it himself. He's like, I can't stop thinking about not throwing a ball like I just he he had the yips. That's what happened. So whatever Manoa's journey, wherever it takes him, I think it's between the ears. I really don't think like there's anything. Well, of course, there are physical elements in a lot of them. But I do think the X factor is his mentality. And I think it's it's up to him if he can dig himself through all this mud out of this hole. I think he can get it done. And I think he can be because he's done it in college. He's, you know, given the middle finger to workloads and he's gone and he's shoved and he's, you know, been a rookie chirping hitters well more experienced than he is. Like, I think he's great. Uh, he's a lot of fun. And man, it would be it would be very nice to see him succeed, I think. Yeah. And I mean, you go back to even his college days at West Virginia. This is really the first and it was a big time falling on your face. But this is kind of the first time I feel like he's kind of fallen down and this is now a full off season. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, to see how he bounces back. Speaking more broadly now, um, if this team goes into the season as it stands, obviously injuries, uh, we'll, we'll say no injuries, no more big signings. How confident should Blue Jays fans be with this current roster? I, I guess it's what are your expectations? Like if you expect that they're going to win 100 games, you should not be very confident. But I expect this team to be kind of right where they were last. 88 to 92 wins it may be if the AL East falls in a really weird way they can win it with a 95 win season but I think they're probably going to be the second wild card again they're probably going to either host or travel to a wild card series and then they got to hope to win 11 games in the playoffs and can with this pitching staff and a couple hot bats can you do that 100% like the, the Jays are one of 10 to 12 teams that could win the World Series this year with the fans don't like the word hope i will say that that's uh <laughs> that's gonna cause some concern uh ethan yeah. where do you think this team stands i mean you look around the division it's obviously the best division in baseball i think it's pretty safe to say that um obviously boston hasn't done much this offseason but where do you think they stand in terms of the al east i'm yeah i'm in agreement with mitch there i think 87 90 wins i mean i i think expectations are definitely lower than they were say coming off the 2021 season, right? Like, I think it's like, we can acknowledge that this lineup is not as good as that lineup was, but man, like Baltimore is a scary team. Baltimore is scary. The Yankees, I think with Juan Soto now, they're going to be pretty good. Um, Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we'll see if I'm a Blue Jays fan, uh, I'm looking at, you know, six consecutive playoff losses. I think it is now, or maybe even more dating back to, to 2016. It's it's tough, but um, the Arizona Diamondbacks were a worse team than the Blue Jays were last year. Like there are, there is no doubt in my mind that the Diamondbacks are, they came to Toronto for a three gamer, and I believe they got swept. Um, and they had they were a lot like Toronto in a lot of ways. Like they have strong defense, sort of middling offense, couple good pitchers, but like that team hit its stride at the perfect time and really just kept on going. So. If you were in the Blue Jays clubhouse day in and day out last year, you would have known, like Mitch and I knew, I think that that magic did not exist. I think it was, uh, I think it was pretty dull in there that the, the spark wasn't there. But there's so many peaks and valleys during the regular season. Like, who knows where the Blue Jays sit by September, October? And I, I think that for the last three, four years, that's going to be the 
the thing to look forward to again is, you know, whatever can happen in April, like the Blue Jays had a really strong April last year. And then, you know, things were a little tougher, but give me September baseball and we'll see where the Blue Jays are there. See what the trade deadline additions look like. And then, uh, then we can reassess. Yeah. It's always hard to sit here to be in a February and make these predictions. And oftentimes they don't go anything as planned, but Mitch kind of to wrap up here. I'm going to ask you both this question, this question, give me a few reasons why this team will win the division and a few reasons why you think they won't reasons they will win the division. I still think they have the best rotation, maybe in the American league than or Seattle for me. I think they're consistent. They've proven. I do think health, especially when it comes to starting pitching, is a trait like I don't think it's pure luck this is a rotation that can be very healthy and we just spent 30-40 minutes talking about a couple guys who could pop like if Vlad and Varsho and a rebound from Springer and a good season from Justin Turner all happen to happen all happen to occur in the same realm that we currently live in then this is a 98 win team and that should be enough to win the AL East but reasons they won't because they need all of those things to happen to win the division. This is not a team that's 50th percentile outcome. It's an AL East title. It's the 80th, the 90th percentile outcome. And I think the Blue Jays kind of know that. Like, I think they they are built to get to the playoffs. That is their goal, get to the playoffs and win 11 games after that. So I think they are kind of accepting just being a wild card team, which isn't necessarily the worst thing, but it is the reality of the team. Ethan, why do they win? Why do they not? Mitch picked all the good answers. <laughs> I know it's I mean, tough to go second on that question. Let me uh, let me lump pitching and defense together. Like I think you can add, you could ask any of the Blue Jays starters last year, and they'd be like, "Yeah, these fly balls are just getting run down left and right." Like I think <clears throat> Toronto's strong defensive outfield, and now would appear to be a strong defensive infield again heading into twenty twenty four. I think that gives them a really good ceiling to operate. Pitching staff, yeah, Jose Brios. I mean. Iron Man, Kevin Gosman, Iron Man, um, you know, those guys, Chris Bassett, Christ. I mean, <laughs> those guys are machines, right? They're going to be out there even if they're banged up a little bit and they're going to try to give you 200 innings, right? That's their thing. So I think those are the elements that will lead them to a division title. But man, hitting is hard. Hitting's like the hardest thing in any sport. And when you already have this sort of uh, predisposed pressure on you, I think from, you know, playoff failures of years past or, you know, whether it's the fans pressure or it's I'm Bo Bichette and I've been to three consecutive playoffs and we've lost every single game. Right. Like, I, I think that eats at you. It does. And it's it's hard to hit when there is a little voice in your head that's, you know, making you worried and making you stressed. And it's a different animal in the playoffs. I think the Blue Jays really they got to relax and just do what they got to do because um, this is a talented team. And yeah, I'm looking forward to see if they can turn a new page in 2024. I lied. One more question. Predictions are stupid, but I'm going to ask you anyways, what's your prediction for the season? And I will hold you to this and I hope we can do this again in the off season next year. Mitch, if you had to guess, what do you think happens this year? Is this like Blue Jays centric or Blue Jays? Oh, well, we can do either, but let's start with the Blue Jays. Okay. I'm going to go. 88 wins, third wild card, traveling to whoever the first team, traveling to New York. I'll say that. That would be a fun wild card series. And how does that end? Um, Blue Jays win the first game, lose the next two. Carlos oh, that's ver- that's very specific. So, okay. So, losing to, the, losing to the Yankees in three games in the wild card. Okay. Ethan, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm not ready to put in an opponent, but 
my thought was the same thing. I see them losing in the wild card again. <laughs> that's that's how it is. Like I I maybe they'll you know come second and like they'll get a chance to like I don't know whether they're hosting or not. Truly, it doesn't really matter to me. Like I I think uh, I think they're gonna lose in the wild card again. That's the feeling I get. Well, aren't we rays of sunshine for Blue Jays fans today? But I do appreciate the conversation, Ethan and Mitch. I, I, thank you so much for coming on, taking the time. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah. Lots of fun. Thanks for having us. Well, that was certainly an interesting conversation. If things go right for this Blue Jays team, uh, Ethan and, and Mitch feel like, you know, it, it could fall their way this year. I think 89, 88 wins, as Mitch put it, I think uh, that that's probably a pretty good. I think it's where a lot of Jays observers, whether you're a fan, you cover the team, whatever. I think it's probably where you're at. Uh, similar to last year, you're a wildcard team. And that question is the golden question. What will they do in the postseason, right? Can they finally get that first elusive win in the Shapiro-Atkins era, right? In the Vlad Bo era, whatever era you want to call it. It's been, you know, last season, we all know how it ended. It ended mired in disappointment and frustration and and whatever other terms you want to use for fans. I think this offseason has almost been a continuation of that. And I think we heard some of that Um you know, from both Ethan and Mitch in terms of uh, how they kind of view this offseason. It's been it's been strange. And did it did they really they're plugging the holes? It's patchwork, as Mitch put it. Is that enough? Yeah. And I think, you know, regardless of what they do in the regular season, 88 wins, 92 wins. It, like you said, it's all about the playoffs. Both of them predicted them losing in the wild card round. I think you see some changes if that happens. I think they need to win the wild card round if that's where they are. Maybe win the ALDS to be considered a success this year. Um, I don't think the team is, as it stands, a World Series, a legitimate World Series contender. I don't know how you feel about that, but we still are sitting here in the beginning of February. There's a lot of time to go. The season to start, the trade deadline, there's a lot to go through until we see what the final edition of the Toronto Blue Jays looks like. We look back, which is the easy part in this podcast. We looked ahead, which is nearly impossible. We even did a few predictions, which I think are stupid this time of year, but I had to ask. Um, and all we can do at the end of the day is wait and see. And that's what we're going to do. We'll talk about it plenty over the next, you know, six to eight months. Um, I hope you enjoyed this podcast with Ethan and Mitch, Jackson and I. Until next time, take care. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check out Canadian Baseball Network for extensive and comprehensive coverage of the latest in Canadian baseball. And the Baseball Zone, Canada's leading instructional baseball academy and training home to thousands of MLB, pro, college, and youth baseball players.